Well, good morning, friends. It's good to be able to be here and to share with you today. It feels like a long time since I've been here in the pulpit and sharing. And so I count it just a wonderful privilege today to be able to stand here, to share with you, to break open the Word of God. You heard it just now in our Advent reading and candlelighting, but Advent is the season in the life of the church where we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. But it's not just about celebrating, looking back and remembering the peace and joy and hope and love that's ours because of the birth of Christ. Advent, too, is a reminder to look forward, right? To anticipate Christ's glorious return. And at that time, we look forward to, we will have perfect peace. We will have hope fulfilled and a fullness of hope. It won't be just joy. It'll be everlasting joy, and not just love, but love in the very presence of our Creator and Savior, the one who saves us. This Advent season, we make this spiritual journey together. We embrace this sort of the dance that exists between celebrating Christ and anticipating his return. And to me, that's something that's worth celebrating, right? Yeah, it's something that is worth getting excited about. And so on the front end of our time looking at God's word, let's just pause and we'll pray just for a moment. Lord, we do thank you for this day. We pray that as we look to your word, that you would speak clearly to us. We pray that your presence would be here amongst your people this day. And that as we look to your word, as we, we share together in this way, we pray for a mighty moving of your spirit in our hearts and in our midst. Speak to us today, Lord, we pray. Amen. I want to invite you, if you will, if you brought your Bibles, it's a good habit to get into. If you haven't been yet, Christmas is a great season to start bringing your Bible to church. Or look it up on your phone if you're one of those. I like to have the the Bible in front of me. For me, there's something about holding it in my hands. I invite you to turn to Mark. The book of Mark, chapter 1, it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And so while you're looking that up, Mark, chapter 1, I want to share a little bit of some context with you, something about Mark. The book of Mark uh, was the first gospel that was written, written before Matthew or, or Luke or John. Uh, In fact, many scholars believe that Mark was used as a source for material for writing Matthew and Luke and John as they told the story of Jesus themselves. And Mark has this really interesting style in how he presents the gospel that sort of sets him apart from the others. Now, you'll know Matthew, if you look at the book of Matthew, if you've spent any time looking at the book of Matthew, Matthew has these long discourses where Jesus speaks. If you've got a a red letter Bible and you open and you see the words of Jesus written in red, when you get to Matthew, there will be these huge chunks where Jesus just speaks 
and continually teaches, and it'll span pages, likely, as you, you turn. And so he's got these huge discourses of Jesus. Matthew is also very interested in making sure that the Jewish reader in that day, that they can blatantly see the connection between the Hebrew prophecy that happened years and years and years, that the prophets spoke of. Matthew is really concerned about connecting the dots between those Old Testament prophets and the person of Jesus. And that's sort of his M.O. as he writes. He's, he's writing to a primarily Jewish audience, trying to convert them, telling them the story of who Jesus is. And so that's Matthew and how he works in his gospel. Luke, you might know, is an orderly account of the story of Christ. And he begins at the beginning, the very beginning of Christ's birth, follows it all the way through the ministry of Jesus, the birth of the church, and sort of the, the positive fallout, if you will, that happens from who Christ is and the impact that he's had. Luke and Acts, they sort of go together as one big orderly account that Luke wrote for a man named Theophilus. He begins saying, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. That's Luke, okay? John, the book of John, very concerned to communicate the divinity of Jesus. He offers these really these deeply theological uh, discourses surrounding Jesus and showing him as God incarnate, God made flesh, Jesus truly and properly God and truly and properly man. We read it to start our prayer time this morning before the service from John 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. That's the book of John. And so now what about our book? What about Mark today? Why do we start with Mark? Well, like I said, Mark was originally written in the Greek language, written to show Jesus as the Son of God, the Savior of the world, it's the shortest of the Gospels, and that means that it's action-packed. He just goes from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. Very little downtime in Mark. In fact, his favorite word, you might say, is immediately. Because as you read it, immediately Jesus does this, and then this happens, and immediately Jesus does that. 41 times in the book of Mark. Does he use that word? There's miracles and healings and teachings and parables, the triumphant entry, the crucifixion, the empty tomb, and that's sort of where we're left in Mark, all in 16 chapters. But you know what Mark doesn't have? The nativity. That's right. There's nothing about the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ in that gospel. There's no census, no Bethlehem. Mark doesn't even mention the names Mary and Joseph. There's no shepherds, no angels, no star, no wise men. And so then I can already hear you. What are we doing in Mark this morning? 
We've spent all this time talking about Advent and it's Christmas and, and, the, God, and the nativity that is existing and, and that we celebrate. And yet here we are, this first Sunday of Advent. And I know, I can relate. I, you're keen. I get it. We want to get to the good stuff, right? We want to hear again the story of the angel speaking to Mary. We want, to, we want to travel on the donkey with Mary and Joseph as they go for the census in Bethlehem, right? It's what we want to do. We want to, we want to get to the manger. We want to stand around it and sing Silent Night. And we want to celebrate those things, get the presents under the tree and the turkey's nearly done and all the rest. We're keen, right? We sort of enter into this Christmas season and life moves at this blistering pace, toward Christmas. One of the favorite sayings of my family growing up as we finished Christmas presents was sit around. My dad inevitably would say, well, now it's all over till next year. Every year we would do it. But I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, perhaps. Because I think we're all sort of tempted to live like that and to enter into this season looking forward and thinking about all that needs to happen, both as a church and in our own personal lives. We get so busy with the stuff of Christmas that often I wonder if we take the time to truly prepare for this season and to do it in a way that, that affords us the opportunity to, to be honest and to take time to think deeply to, to find meaning and to truly celebrate Christ's coming, not just as a one-time event, but as a, a part of our identity and who we are. And two, in all our preparations for the season, do we think enough, do we reflect upon and respond in preparation of our hearts to humbly anticipate Christ's return? And that is why we start with Mark. Because while he doesn't mention the manger or the manger scene, his message is clear. Let me read it for you. Mark chapter 1 and verse 1. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It'll be on the screen too. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. Other versions say, make straight paths. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sin and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sin, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am so much greater that I am not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he 
will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. See, while the book of Mark cuts to the facts and and moves at this blistering pace, the first thing he does at the outset of this gospel is an invitation to pause. He gives this call to those who read his words to slow down and to pay attention to what's going on here. Mark wants us to reflect for a moment. The voice of one calling in the wilderness, it merges two prophetic uh, pronouncements given hundreds of years before. In the book of Malachi, see if this seems familiar as we read. In the book of Malachi, chapter 3, we read, Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will certainly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you look for so eagerly, is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Words spoken hundreds, hundreds of years before. Again, from Isaiah chapter 40. He's the other prophet that's quoted here. Chapter 40 and verse 3. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. And so Mark is connecting these prophecies to John the Baptist. But it also draws comparison to another passage in Exodus, the book of Exodus. Exodus 23 and verse 20. See, I am sending an angel before you to protect you on your journey and lead you safely to the place I have prepared for you. Pay close attention to him and obey his instructions. Do not rebel against him, for he is my representative. And so you say, what difference does all this make, Fred? This is great, but what difference do these pieces make as we think about the nativity, as we think about John and and Mark and this call to slow down and to pay attention? What we've got here is something that we might miss as we read this today. But it's blatant to the Jews and the Judeo-Christians as they first read it so many years ago or as they first heard these words. This introduction to the book of Mark is establishing the authority, not only for the gospel in all that follows, but for John the Baptist as the messenger of God proclaiming the way of the Lord. It's John the Baptist who is the voice of one in the wilderness calling prepare. And it's established by each measure of Jewish scripture. You've got the Uh, major prophets in Isaiah, the passage we read. You've got the minor prophets in Malachi. And you've got the Torah, the Jewish law from Exodus, all connected together, all testifying, all pointing, Mark says, to John. And so his message is given from God. He is God's messenger proclaiming the Messiah. And so he's worth listening to. And the people who who see John, who encounter this, who read these first words, they hear this, they get this right away. Think of it like this. If someone showed up to our church this morning in full hockey gear, helmet the works, skates the whole thing, Brian would be pretty upset on our floor. Guy rolls in here and skates. But 
you would know, everyone would know in an instant, that guy, he's a hockey player, plays hockey. Be undeniable, right? Well, that's the same sort of thing that's happening here. The diet, the diet of locusts, wild honey, the coat made of camel hair, the leather belt, the living out in the wilderness. To the ancient readers of Mark, this screams, he's a prophet. Undeniable. He's a prophet. A messenger from God. One who is worth listening to. And this then, Mark sets as the foundation for everything that follows. And he says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Now remember, our intent here is to slow down, to pay attention. And so as we do that, as we read that section of scripture, we notice something fairly immediately, right? To use Mark's word, fairly immediately. We've got repetition, And for those of us who study God's word, knowing that God doesn't waste words, when we see a word repeated over and over, we've got to pay attention. Prepare. My messenger will prepare. His voice shouts, prepare the way. Now, important to note here that in English, this is the same word, prepare, both times. But in Greek the original language this was written, it's two different words. Yeah, it's prepare, but the meaning behind those two sets of prepare is very different. Let's do a little bit of a word study. Here we go. Are you with me? Yeah, this is, it'll be worth it. The first time we see the word prepare, it comes from a Greek understanding that that means constructing or creating, equipping something. The implication is that something is being built or created, something specifically made for a particular purpose. Now follow me here, because this will add some depth. We see this same word in the Greek used in the letter to Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 9, it's used to describe how we are being prepared to be the living tabernacle in which God's Holy Spirit dwells. It's the work that is created in us as we prepare to be God's holy temple, each and every one of us. That through Christ, who is the perfect sacrifice for sin, in Hebrews we read how this sacrifice put an end to the old covenant way, the old way of understanding forgiveness, The sacrifice of animals and grain offerings, they're no longer required because Jesus' blood covers sin completely. And when we receive his forgiveness, we are prepared to be a vessel fit for his presence. We become his temple. We become filled with his spirit. And so you get it? That God, or John the Baptist is calling prepare, saying make yourself ready to receive the gift of Jesus. Make yourself fit to be a dwelling place, a vessel for God to live in. And we know that that only comes through forgiveness. For the original hearers of John's words, that meant coming forward, turning from sin, being baptized with water, uh, a symbolic gesture of the washing of sin. It's a public declaration of that inward desire 
to be forgiven. That's why it's written, he, the messenger, will prepare the way because he will call the people to ready their hearts for Jesus. Now for us, for us to prepare for the Messiah today is to confess that Jesus is Lord, to ask for his forgiveness from our sin and to believe in him as our Savior. His call comes to us to prepare personally, to submit, to prepare our heart. And that's the first use of that word prepare in our passage. But there's another. He says, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, who will help get your hearts in order, who will call you to prepare your heart personally. A voice of one shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now this prepare, again, reflects a call to action, but rather than being focused on the inward work, the inward preparation, it's outward-facing preparation. It's got connotations of getting ready for some big event or special event. In Luke 22, Jesus uses this word when he tells the disciples to go into the upper room and prepare for the Passover meal, for the Last Supper. It's that kind of understanding. It's about getting ready for something that is to come. And so in Mark, when we're called to prepare the way of the Lord, we're called to do so by making straight paths for him. Here, that phrase, straight paths, it reflects the desire to live a right or upright or, or moral life, the pursuit of morality through dedication to truth and purity. That's that Greek understanding of what it means to pursue things that are straight. The notion of making straight paths is a theme throughout all Scripture. It's a life walk that's focused on holiness and growth in the faith journey. It's about pursuing God's will and avoiding evil. Proverbs chapter 4, Solomon writes, Let your eyes look straight ahead, fit your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet, and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the left or to the right, but keep your foot from evil. Centuries later, the book, uh, in the book of Hebrews, it was written, and we read it today from Hebrews chapter 12, and this is from the Amplified Version. For the time being, no discipline brings joy, but seems sad and painful. Yet those who have been trained by it, Afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, which is right standing with God and a lifestyle and attitude that seeks conformity to God's will and purpose. So then, strengthen hands that are weak and knees that tremble. Cut through and make smooth, straight paths for your feet that are safe and that go in the right direction, so that the leg which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather may be healed." Continually pursue peace with everyone and the sanctification without which no one will ever see the Lord. So follow me here. Now we're going to connect some dots. If we want to prepare for Jesus, then the path has to be straight. It has to be upright and pure and in pursuit of truth. And this is harder, this is easier said than done, I think, for us. 
Eh? It's not always easy. Walking straight paths can be hard. Figuratively, in our spiritual walk, but also literally in our lives. This is a great analogy, and I wonder sometimes, you know, if God did this on purpose, and then I think, of course he did, because he's God. That's how he works. Left on our own, we simply can't walk in a straight line. Humanity, we just can't. Scientifically proven that human beings are not able to walk in a straight line. There's something about our physical inner makeup where we're caused to walk off course. There was this scientist in Germany who tested this. He blindfolded people, brought them out to a big field, and then told them to walk in a straight line for an hour. And everyone thought they were doing great. They're like, yeah, I got this tied on. Let's go. And then they started walking. And as the scientist watched, it didn't take an hour for people to veer to the left, to the right, to make a big loop, to come and walk in a circle and to be curving in their path. And the scientist proved that there's this inability for humans to naturally just go straight. You can't do it. But according to the same research, there's one way we can do it. Do you know what it is? You've got to focus on something that's ahead of you. A building, a landmark, something on the horizon. If you can keep your eyes focused on something that you're walking toward, you can walk in a straight line. We can keep straight paths. Now you see where I'm going with this, right? This Advent, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. He goes before, he walks with us, and church, if we fix our eyes on him, we can and we will keep on the straight and narrow, as they say. We prepare our hearts inwardly by seeking a forgiven relationship with Jesus Christ. And we prepare for his return by making straight paths, by living our lives as one who has been forgiven, who lives in right relationship with our Savior. Straight paths are created when we focus on Jesus and live in his forgiveness every day. And it's a life that's marked by peace and hope and joy and love. And it's only made possible and only lived out when we focus on Jesus. That is the central message of Mark's opening. And yes, there are no angels, there's no shepherds. It would be the lamest Christmas play you've ever seen. Instead, what we have is a voice calling out in the wilderness to slow down amidst the pace of Christmas, amidst the craziness of life, amidst everything that's going on, this voice in the wilderness, unmistakable, a message from God, saying, slow down. Pay attention to what's going on. Prepare your heart. Make straight paths for the way of the Lord. Focus on Jesus, for he has come, and he's coming again. 
And that might not sound like the nativity, but it sure sounds like Advent to me. So, let's make this Advent season each and every day about focusing on Christ. Let's make sure we're all ready and we're waiting. Let's pray.